enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We're going to talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from well-known classics down to that rare gem that's got like a weird little tail or something coming out of the back of it, <laughs> on the back of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I talking about, from 1990... We're continuing the Summer of Fear miniseries. Here we are. We're delving into Tim's fears today. It's Jacob's Ladder. Tim, what's going on with your fear here? Ha, that's a great question. Um, because I, I, you know, it's funny. After we decided to to do this miniseries, which I think is, I still think is a great idea. I'm like, maybe I should have picked a less revealing fear. <laughs> Yeah, I tried pushing the rat thing, and yeah. you were like, "Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, that would that would have been." I think other people are afraid of rats, right? But like, um, when I when really I gets me is the collapse of reality. Yeah, <laughs> when I've explained the um, the miniseries to other people, like at work or in the office or whatever, I'm like, "Yeah, it's going to be really great. We're going to talk about our like our innermost fears. You know, Andy's is about spiders. Mine's about losing my mind, <laughs> and it's just kind of you know the the two hit a little different. Um, so, uh, but in answer to your question, I will say this. Thankfully, uh, and and maybe this will put our our listening audience at at ease. It's not a fear that I have much just in a normal day-to-day occurrence or life existence. It's really more tied specifically to these psychological thriller movies. And I, I have a couple reasons why I think that that is the case. Number one, I... I internalize things a lot. You know, it's part of my enjoyment in watching movies, specifically horror movies, is that when I see a good old fashioned slasher, when I see Jason chasing kids around a campground, to me, that feels more like um, it's almost like watching an action movie. It's like watching like whatever they call that, like a Ninja Warrior or whatever. I mean, like it's like watching an athletic competition to me. <laughs> it's the same level of like sort of surface excitement, physicality. Yeah. It's a game of hide and seek. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's all it's all external. I mean, the wounds are, you know, slashes and cuts and right. chops and all that sort of thing. Except for Jason, who is the one with the internal damage. Right. And that's why I love it. Right. That's, that's, that's why we why root I for him, him and why he's the star. <laughs> right. And so that's that's part of it. So when I, when I watch a movie, I I, I do, you know, the, those empathic qualities really kick in. And uh, and I really sort of internalize whatever struggle is going on. And if the struggle is a sort of tormented mental, emotional, psychological breakdown, that's a really heavy thing to to sit through for two hours. Right. The other thing is specifically to the action of losing one's mind is that I, I love knowledge. Like I, I love it dearly. Anybody 
who's listening, who knows me or anyone in general who knows me has probably gone through the experience of and probably very early on in meeting them where I want to know everything about them. And, and sometimes it's even I've even been told there was one friend of ours that told me, like, you you put people on the spot sometimes like and, and not everybody enjoys that. And he kind of scolded me, <laughs> and, you know, but he's probably right. But it it all comes from a good place of just I'm going to be friends with you. I feel a connection to you and I want to know everything about you immediately um, because I am cherishing this connection so quickly. Yeah. So. The idea of losing your mind and losing that knowledge is so traumatic to me because it means so much. If I have a friend who's like, hey, <clears throat> there's this band that I'm really into and their songs are super kick ass. I'll play some of them for you. I got the album and it's it's awesome. Top to bottom. It's great. And I'll be like, oh, that's great. Where are they from? And they'll be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> And I'm like, how, how the fuck do you not know where they're from? Well, I, I, don't, I, I don't know where they're from. I, I like the music. Like, the song is really good. Right. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, are there, is the lead singer's parents divorced? <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> I thought we were talking about this band already. You know, so it, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I don't understand how people don't want to know absolutely everything about the things that they are excited by. <laughs> right. So the idea of losing that. The idea of losing that that connection, that familiarity, that understanding is terrifying to me. Because you have it's, to know how unique you are, though, in that, in like being like, what are what's the marital status? <laughs> right. What is the ethnicity? Well, of course, what's well, the course, ethnicity? Yeah, yeah, everyone knows that. One. <laughs> yeah, we have to know that. Um, I get what you're saying, though. Yes, it's yeah. like yeah. So the idea of losing that. The other thing is is. Now, I, I am not going to stand alone in this because I have to believe that other people have these dreams. And I want to say that we even referenced this pretty recently on the show that I pretty routinely will have these dreams where it's got just enough of a tether to reality for you to, in the dream, accept it as your reality. Sure. To, almost to where within the dream, you're like. There's a part of you that's like, okay, I think it's a little weird that my apparently my best friend in life is a guy that I worked with 22 years ago um, and that the closest family member of mine is actually like my aunt who I see every six years. <laughs> right. But okay, but it's got just enough of a tether to reality to where as the dream goes on, you just accept that. But then when you wake up, you're like, oh, thank fucking God. Thank God. Nothing <laughs> right. against that guy that I worked with 22 years ago because he was a great guy. But I just never saw us as being lifelong friends. Right. Um, and then you wake up and you're so thankful for what is your reality um, and uh, and you cherish it that much more. So that's the other thing to me is that that idea of reality being skewed, of it sort of slipping away. Um, the Alzheimer's thing just terrifies me. Like I literally try to like do not obsessively, but I try to do all the things that you're supposed to do to not get that. Yeah. Um, because that, that sounds like such a, an awful thing. There's a guy at work that talks about a great aunt of his that he took in and was, was taking care of for the family. And she would do that. I think what they call sundowning. Which is where, like, for whatever reason, it's that time of day, whereas kind of afternoon goes into evening that like she would he would find her like on the sidewalk with a suitcase mm -hmm. and he'd be like, where are you going? And she's like, I, I have to I have to be somewhere. And he's like, where where do you need to be? 
I, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I have to be somewhere. And it's, as he's telling me this, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, it's terrible because there's, that is, that is their mind trying to fire as much as it did when it was healthy and it's hitting some things, but it's not hitting the right things. Yeah. It's hitting things from 50 years ago. And suddenly you feel like you've got to meet your husband at the bus station like you did in, you know, 1949 when he got off of work every day, you know? Yeah. And that part is real. It's just not real anymore. Right. So that sort of, um, I guess it's kind of the sadness of something so cherished life connections, relationships, family that, um, slipping away feels uh, terrifying to me. Yeah. It's, um, I did a, uh, speech when I, on alzheimer's in like ninth grade for speech class uh and it would like the what i learned about it was so terrifying i will say however like uh losing the mind it has uh to write it into something it has such a simple setup because like you're saying like where someone's like oh i you know i needed to be somewhere but i don't know like there was this um ad i saw where it's like an old man and he's like sitting at a bus stop next to a woman who's pregnant and he's asking her about the pregnancy and everything you know and then the bus comes and she gets up she's like come on dad let's go and but it's like you thought he was a stranger the whole time right yeah yeah so it's like uh that's uh, (laughs) like that's so heart-wrenching like just to imagine to be in um that that kind of scenario and i know people who are kind of going through it i'm thankfully not and that is a big fear of mine like my family's got a history of people just <laughs> losing their minds uh and i don't want that like the splotchy skin was bad enough <laughs> i don't want the 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 you know like i don't know yeah you can go tanning for the other thing you know <laughs> yeah yeah i can wear pants <laughs> but you know like having a conversation with my grandfather when he was, you know, the last 10 years of his life was like, I hate to sound terrible, but not fun or easy. Right. Well, not that we were like close anyway. So then <laughs> driving an awkward conversation with someone who's <laughs> lost their mind. Right. No, it's, it's true. Like I, um, it's one of my biggest regrets. Like, uh, I have a grandma that I was really, really close to my, my native grandma and, and she loved me and I loved her. And, um, you know, in the last couple of years of her life, things got really bad and I was always planning on going to see her. But the, one of the last things that I heard was that she chased one of my cousins, uh, out of her house with a, with a knife. Oh, God. And I'm like, that's, you know, I mean, she was always tough, right? <laughs> she was tough broad, but, uh, but she wasn't knife wielding, you know, when yeah. I knew her and it was, and I made the decision not to see her. And, uh, but you know, uh, at that point, is it how much of, of your grandma is, is really left in there? You know, right. that's, and there's no answer to that question, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't seem like a lot. So you, you just, and you hope it's not painful, right? Right. There's no pain really associated with it. Emotional pain. Yeah. Which is kind of the worst. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Phys- no physical it pain. It everyone around you. Yeah. If you have a physical pain. Yeah. Maybe you're like a burden because you got to people got to help you to the bathroom. Well, I, you know, the- <laughs> I don't mean burden. Right. Well, you know, you, you, uh, talking about, you you know what though, there's a story, uh, uh, a friend of ours had a neighbor who, uh, had some sort of physical issues or whatever. 
And I guess he, he, there was nobody home to help him and he had fallen down, but he was on his way to the bathroom. And so he called our friend. And so our friend and, and our friend's dad went over to the neighbor's house to help him. And they found him on the floor and they were going to get him up and get him to the couch. And he says, you know, I've, I've got to, I have to go to the bathroom. So they, you know, took him to the bathroom and, and put him on the toilet and he, you know, took a shit and was not physically able to wipe his own ass. Mm. So his, our friend's dad had to wipe his neighbor's ass, which I know for you, I'm looking at you right now. It's, it's a waking nightmare for you, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it might be for Being most in my neighbor's house. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the saddest part is, is that, um, you know, the, uh, the guy was like apologizing and he's so sorry and so humiliated. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And our friend's dad just said, you know, it's, it's, Hey, it's just part of life. And the guy just goes, you call this living? Oh, like, Oh my God. That's so, so terrible. But so here, I mean, if there's a, if there's a silver lining to all of this folks, <laughs> God damn it. Eat your vitamins. Yeah. Take care Stay of engaged with your community. <laughs> you know, don't hold grudges. Um, just try to, to, you know, keep your mind alert, yeah. keep your body Delete healthy. Delete your Facebook. Or, yeah, that's, that's probably, yeah. That God. Can you imagine health. the repercussions 30 years from now of the mental decline and Jeez, issues yeah. and the increase? Years, I yeah. hope we make oh, it's probably, it. Yeah, we're there now. Man. But oh, um, but yeah, so it, it all boils down to that. And the thing is, and, and part of it, too, is, I mean, just to put a, a, a fine point on it, I think that if if you're a people pleaser, at which I am, that it, there there is that constant need to keep the fires burning with any person that's been in your life. Like if I if there was somebody that I was close to 30 years ago, like I'm going to feel badly that I don't know everything about what's going on in their life right now, which I should just let myself let go of that and know that that's just part of how life is. Like, it's not, it's not meant to be like that. You don't have to be everything to everybody. So the idea of having a diminished capacity to be anything to anybody is that's the, the tough part. Yeah. Yeah. See, sometimes I feel the opposite where I'm like, please don't tell me anything about you because I'm bound to forget it. And then I'll feel so guilty. Like, I don't give a shit about you. So you're not worth remembering. I might need therapy, Tim. You know what, though? It's funny. You'll you'd be shocked at how having that um, curiosity and asking people those little details about their life and remembering them years later like how touched people are by that. Oh, sure. And um, like, and they'll give you the most beautiful look of it. Part of it is surprise. Part of it is, is a sort of flattery that somebody would, would bother to remember. And, you know, people, people want other people to know who they are and what their existence is. And so, yeah, I mean, don't do it to my extent, but um, yeah, sit down and ask your friends, you know, a little something about themselves every now and then, right. or, or, you know, people that, you know, well, Tim, would you, let me ask you this. Would you like to talk about Jacob's ladder? I'd love to, because yeah. I just watched it tonight. Oh, really? Just before I got here. Oh my God. All right. It's Jacob's ladder. It was written by, uh, uh, Bruce Rubin and someone else too. Right. Did I, do I only have one? No, it, it is just him. Okay. Yeah. He just has three names. Oh, uh, Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of a. I'm thinking of Die Hard. Never mind. 
Die Hard. We watched great. the thing on hey, Die Hard last I, I night. I like Die Hard a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we hadn't we haven't watched the movies that made us or whatever that is on Netflix, and we started watching that last night, and it was Die Hard, which I think the guy who wrote the first draft was named Ruben. Maybe that's why I thought. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it was directed by Adrian Lynn. It stars Tim Robbins, Elizabeth Pena, and Danny Aiello. Budget twenty five million. Box office twenty six million. Bona fide hit. <laughs> Here's Nan Sum. Jacob Singer is many things: a father, a Vietnam veteran, and a postal carrier. He lives in Brooklyn with his girlfriend Jezebel. Or wait, is that just a dream? Because he's married with three boys. Or wait, does he have two? Jacob's life begins to unravel as he begins to have visions of demons and struggles to distinguish what's real and what isn't, not to mention his reoccurring nightmares of that night in Vietnam when his platoon was attacked. But hey, it's nothing a good chiropractic exam couldn't fix. Jacob's Ladder. Boy, that just sounds like a paint-by-numbers movie, doesn't it? (laughs) How many times have we seen that movie? It was a difficult (laughs) plot to... How do I summarize this movie? And I still... (laughs) There's a lot of a lot open, and that's some. Well, because t- this is one I know. It's like a, we do a lot of spoilers. At the end of this, we'll like be. Have, I don't know. I mean, how you talk about this movie? We can, yeah, without well, giving it away. I think we can, I but think we can still. We'll still give it away. And we're still going to talk about it. Just you, not right off the bat here. You're on the right track because Tim Robbins. I read it in an interview from 1990, where. He, he's he's asking himself the same question. How do I talk about this movie? I right. can't I can't just completely ruin it because to ruin five minutes of the ending is to ruin the entire oh, film. Yeah, yeah. So he said, I believe, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's pretty close. Um, talking about this movie raises ambiguity to an art form. <laughs> So, yeah, imagine like being tasked with having to like sit down for your 13th interview in a row, you know, with uh, the movies coming out, you know, this weekend then having to tell people about Jacob's Ladder. Um, How in the hell did I not see this before now? Well, because it was kind of not a big movie and it kind it was 1990. Yeah. Was it a horror movie? You know, you were probably like, oh, like, oh, yeah, I was 15. So, yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I was I busy. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, you know, but any 15 year old is pretty self-involved, I suppose. I think I saw this on video, though. I mean, I didn't see this in the theater. Yeah, because it, it, it didn't get a huge reception, too, when it came out. So it's just kind of one of those things. If you didn't watch it later on video, you probably didn't watch it. You know, what's funny is I'm thinking back now. These um, these memories uh, are kind of coming to me as I as I'm remembering it as a 15 year old and, and it being advertised. It's funny. I, I don't really remember it being pitched as a war movie i don't remember it being pitched as a memory movie the only thing that really stands out when i remember the trailer is some kind of like it seemed torturous like a torture thing like like it was like uh like this guy is being um you know manhandled and tortured by some sort of evil group of people like they they obviously couldn't explain very much right but that's what came of it was that they did pitch it as more of a fast-paced, action-oriented horror movie. Yeah, and it's like, well, you know, this is coming here, and oh, this is going by him real... F-. Like, I remember the trailer to this movie very distinctly. Like, that shot 
where the car tries to run him over. Yeah. And the head's in the window as it goes by. Like, I remember that in the trailer. Uh, you know, this, I feel like this is the first movie to really do the fast head shake. Oh, yeah. That then, like, 13 Ghosts was like, we'll double it. <laughs> yeah. Triples is best. Yeah. And, um, and, and isn't it amazing to know, just throw out a nugget right now, literally not one speck of CGI. No, no post-production and, yeah, special no effects. Yeah, no post-production. No post. God, that is amazing. Wow. How the fuck did they do this? 1990. Is that the last time that a like major studio did a movie with a, that didn't involve a computer and post? What would have been... No, just tangent here for two seconds. And it works and it, and it so well. It doesn't have to be horror. What would have been... This is a fun question. Is the first movie that you can remember that was like... C, like CGI welcome to the world that where it was like, oh, this is a whole new thing now. Oh, I mean, Jurassic Park, but. Oh, uh, OK. OK. And that came and out in what year? Still, uh, 94, 93. OK. 93. So this was right on right, right before it then. Uh, Yeah. OK. Now, yes, there were computer effects. Lawnmower Man <laughs> was one where it's like, oh, OK computers okay. do things now so yeah if you look at like lawnmower man which is supposed to be a movie like but check out what vr will be but that's specifically computer oriented though like computer centric well, yeah but everything is computer generated in it too yeah but so i'm looking at how cheesy that movie looks and then jurassic park comes out a year later or like two years later yeah 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 um no it, but it, it was i mean yeah it's kind of funny but the jurassic stages. park still holds up and there are still movies made today that don't have effects as good as Jurassic Park. So I don't sure. know what I don't know how the director of Poltergeist pulled that off. <laughs> Whoever he may be. Whoever he was. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing visually. And you are a uh, you're a uh, video game guy. Yeah, you're a gamer. Um, and there's a you can't read one goddamn thing about this movie without them mentioning Silent Hill. Yeah. Um, so do you see a, I mean, I'm familiar with some of the visuals of Silent Hill and I can see that sort of like things feel dirty. Things feel unsettling. The light feels yellow. It feels kind of gross and pissy and, uh-huh. and dilapidated. Do, do you see the connection here? Uh, I don't know. I didn't really play any Silent Hill. Games. What? <laughs> it's like one of the most popular. <laughs> Right? Like, you were my lifeline. I know. It was so funny. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, oh, man, I know I'm going to get asked about that. Here's the thing. I don't really play horror video games. I don't like them that much. Usually because they involve, like, limited ammo to add to the tension. Oh, okay. And I hate those games only because it's so frustrating. It'll be one of those things where you like line the shot up and you're going to pull the trigger and then like, you know, the, the thing like takes the sharp 180 turn and goes the other way and you miss. And it's like, oh, there goes one of my three bullets now. Yeah. Just, and now I'm like spending three quarters of the level just trying to find resources. I don't know. It just bothers me. Not that Silent Hill is like that. There are other horror games like that. But just I don't know. Most shooters I didn't really play. Does Silent Hill have some of those like like the the guys that are in this the um, whatever they may be the sort of eyeless people is that in Silent Hill or is the does Silent Hill use the head shake? I know Silent Hill has the uh, triangle head. Okay, guy. Yeah, 
Well, I will also, say that. I should say I, I have not really seen the Silent Hill movies. Well, what which I, I hear the new one is awesome. Well, I guess I guess the, the part of it that would be connected to that aesthetic would be a a sort of um because the, the future like you could somebody could say, "Well, what about um Blade Runner, but Blade Runner was wet and dirty, but it was also bright and colorful. Oh, yeah, very neon. Yeah. So this may be Silent Hill. And by, by the if there's any gamers right now, they are absolutely jumping out whatever the closest window is to them. <laughs> but <laughs> but comment for fuck's sake, like send us an email. Yeah. Uh, we do more of that. Um, but from what I understand, uh, or as I like to say, from what I'm given to understand, uh, the Silent Hill was kind of maybe the first one to bring that sort of let's just call it gas station bathroom aesthetic. Sure. Like where it's flickering. It's which I feel like there are a couple parts in this movie like that. See, when I saw that. Well, yeah. When, they, when the hospital, the when hospital room and yeah. maybe like the subway. But that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. I don't know. I feel like you get that in Exorcist three as well. Yeah, you could say that. Kind of. Not say really. That. that was came not out, really. Uh, but yeah, this year. is more like it's, you know, uh, uh, abandoned Night- hospital. And ni- nightmarish, yeah. abandoned. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. So, so raving we, lunatics. Well, and that's one of the things that I wrote down. Like they are in this movie, they are doing creepy right. I mean, mm-hmm. they are hitting a couple whether a couple different notes, whether it's like convulsions that, that, that we were talking, the head shake, it's tentacles, which I don't know why tentacles bother me so much, but they do. Yeah. It creeps me out. Um, Not into Japanese porn? Well, <laughs> I like cross-eyed stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as far as I've gotten. <laughs> um, but uh, anyhow, oh. we, we, we reveal a lot on this show. Um and uh it's the harmless. and there's this okay so in the tr- there is a train there's a subway scene that kind of se- sets up the real beginning of the sort of nightmarish uh arena that we're entering into and there is there's always some things in movies it's usually a small thing and it's the thing that you see it and you're like fuck way off like that no absolutely not that's terrifying and it's when the when the train when he very nearly misses you know the train and and being hit by it and and plowed right through and then he sees people kind of weird on it yeah and then the train is leaving and then the sort of conductor guy is just doing this weird sort of absent way yeah and i'm like oh fuck me like god damn it that is terrifying yeah and see i like how they didn't they, well, I guess, thankfully, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do the fast heads on the train. Oh. They totally would do that today with computers. But unless that train went by at six <laughs> inches a minute, you know, <laughs> right. they couldn't really do it. Um, so that's great. Because that ad- it adds another layer when you see it later. Yeah. Uh, and just seeing those people as just kind of blobby heads. They're just kind of like, they look gray and scratchy. It's it's even hard to explain, and they don't look them. comfortable. No, and um, the windows are a l- just a little hazy. Yeah, 
Yeah. And the light's real bright in there. It's such a cool effect. Yeah, people on a train going to a place that they don't really want to go to historically is just pretty unsettling. <laughs> right. You know, we've, we've got, unfortunately, some real history that way. Uh, but no, but it's true, though. Like, there's, there's, something, there's something about a train and people being trapped on it that is burned into our brain <laughs> sure. of being creepy. Sure. You know? And yeah, and those people look like they don't want to be on that train. It's very creepy. Speaking of historical events... Kind of part of the reason why this movie might not have done very well is that here you've got a movie about a very, very troubled Vietnam vet right at the beginning of the Gulf War. So you've got the Gulf War and we've sort of all kind of like, hey, I thought we set Vietnam down. You know, we've dealt with it. We've I mean people involved in it will never set it but down people were but pumped for the gulf war like we I'm weren't saying. losing that oh, war no. that's exactly what i'm saying who wants to watch another movie about a sad vietnam veteran <laughs> oh, i got you okay up and worked up for the gulf Felt war. like war fatigue but no just like right yeah and and, I, and i'm and watching the news I, tonight where we're dunking you right <laughs> and i and i want to make it clear i i'm not uh, what i just said is not my feelings or I don't think anybody's feelings on Vietnam vets, because I know that that trauma will stick with them for life, unfortunately. But I think what I'm saying was, is that it had been seen in media. It had been seen in art and it had been seen pretty much since the the war itself. So by the time you get to 1990, it's like, okay, like, yeah, but we're going to go, we're going to go kick ass this time and it's going to be easy. And nobody's going to die and go America. And here we go. And so who wants to see a sad bathroom, you know, you know, gas station bathroom aesthetic movie about a Vietnam veteran? Yeah. So I think that that might have the timing was a little off to our younger listeners. We're talking about a time. There was a time this country was not at war. I don't know if there are some (laughs) listeners. who are like, What? Right. What's happening right now? So let's talk a little bit about, you know, since we're going in the the way back machine before we really dig into. And there is a lot to dig into in this movie um, because it does such a probably the best job I've ever seen of seamless shifting between various realities and and times. Totally. I mean, God damn, it's it's creamy. Yeah. To where you as the watcher are like. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, the, so this part's real. But it's not jarring. Right, no. How do they not make it jarring? <laughs> I don't know. But it's it's a beautiful to see. Just to give a little bit of history, man, oh, man, oh, man, did I feel, and I know that I'm a bit of a know-it-all. I, I, I accept that. It's part of that thirst for knowledge. Um, but, man, did I feel smart when I was watching this because even before I read anything about this movie, I'm like, oh, my God, this reminds me of... Uh, and my French isn't the best. La Riviere du Hibou, which means uh, the uh, means like Owl Creek or Owl River, which is a 1962 French short film based on a, a short story uh, or actually a book from 1891. It's a very old story. But I was in film class in uh, uh, when I was in college, and there was a short movie that we watched, and I. I I would recommend it to anybody. Really, if you just look up um, an occurrence at Owl Creek is how it's listed in English. Uh, There is a man who's standing on the gallows. I'll get through this very quickly. Standing on the gallows. He's about to be hanged. Um, He has a quick vision to his wife and his children. He knows he's about to die. The floorboards go out. He falls down. And holy God, the rope snaps. And he goes into the river. And 
he made it. He fucking made it. And he takes the, the rope off of his neck and they're shooting into the river and they're releasing the dogs and he's swimming through the river and he gets to the shore and he's zigzagging and he's evading the bullets and, and everybody's after him and he's running through the woods and um, you're like, oh my God, there's just no way there's like a hundred people after this guy. But he evades everyone and he finally like comes through this hedgerow, this tall hedgerow, and he sort of gets through it. And there is his wife standing in his backyard like he fucking he at least made it home and he's running to her. And it's this beautiful palatial estate. And it's a backyard and he's running to her and it shows him running to her again and running to her again and running to her again. And he puts his arms out and she puts her arms out and she puts her arms around his head and his head snaps back and Bam, we're right back on the gallows. Boom, the floorboards go out and he's hanged. Ugh. And all it was, that whole movie that we just saw of him getting away, he fucking did it. The whole movie was just those split seconds right before he died and his vision of, of what he was hoping would happen yeah. and, and, and fantasizing about. So as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh my God, it's that Owl River movie. <laughs> And uh, then I started researching it, and they were citing it. And I'm like, ooh, college. <laughs> Fucking, I didn't graduate. I didn't graduate, no. but God damn it, I remembered something. So um, so there. I guess I let the cat out of the bag. Well, you know, I didn't want to stop you. <laughs> it's all right. So let me ask but you. But we don't, well, let's not dwell on that yet. We can do, now, yes, it's based on that. Yeah, it's just a guy who uh, in in uh, peril imagines uh, something else. You know, that's kind of, you know, maybe we all do that. There are a couple moments in this movie where he does that. He jumps around to families in this movie. Who yeah. knows when that part's specifically going on? Right. We're not giving away anything yet. <laughs> because, I- yeah, because in this movie, it's because uh, it opens Vietnam. Their platoon is attacked. And then he wakes up. He's with his girlfriend. They live in Brooklyn. It's post Vietnam, but he obviously references his ex wife. Yeah. Uh, and he has a son who's died. So uh, we know about his past. We know about his far past. We don't. I'm. A, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that. No, it's not really clear yet. Like when the when his marriage was. Well, does it say like what year it is? It's like 75. It's but 77. Do they like, is it 77? Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, it's in that 70s post-Vietnam. Not to say that it was in intentionally ambiguous about when his marriage was, but yes, you know he's had a life. And as you said before, yes, at one point after he's had a I guess a panic, I mean, well, we could say a panic attack, but it's a great sequence that we'll talk about uh, that I love at the party. But he wakes up from whatever attack he's having there. In his home with his wife and he, yeah. you know, and his children are there and the one who's passed away. So now you're like, okay. Yeah. Was that other part, you know, what, what part am I ever watching? That's his reality. Is it the Vietnam? Cause then he, we get intercuts of the, the Vietnam stuff. That's usually, he usually is, is waking up from that. So right. it's like, he's got these dreams of Vietnam he seems to be dreaming about his family. Is he dreaming about a weird possible future uh, with his real family? You yeah. know, because he comes back to the family a couple times, right? Does he, he does. there twice? Yeah. 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 And that's what when that you're right. I'm so glad that you brought that up because the first time that we are we are as well, I'm going to ask you one question before I continue, because I'm, I'm so curious. And then I'll, I'll give you a, a confession. 
Um, did you know what was going to happen in this movie before you watched it the first time? Yeah. You knew. I mean, I knew. Yes. You knew the ending. Well, yeah. Okay. I have a friend. It's well, then weird. I don't feel so I bad. I was thinking about this because I was like, <laughs> every there are so many movies I think about in the '90s, and I feel like ev- every one of them I have some sort of one sentence ex- like cynical explanation that I feel came from my friend Scott. Like every single one, <laughs> I just hear his voice and be like, "Oh yeah, that it's this." And uh, that was this movie. And I know he told me the end and he's like, yeah, and this is, you know, so it's like I knew it. But even watching it again, because I hadn't seen it since. I mean, it was probably mid 90s when I saw it. Wow. So even still knowing how it ends, I was still very engaged. And I was like, oh, like I didn't remember very specifically, like some very some very specifics about the end. So it's still like. Where is that thing I'm looking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, no, but I dancing around this too. But, but and I and I will say I'm though, going to keep dancing, and 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 I'll dance right there with you. Um, the one part about it within woven within that dance that was so heartbreaking to me was, and it all ties back to what I was saying about those weird ass dreams where your best friend is now that guy that you went worked with 22 years ago. He has a moment where. We understand that his reality now is with uh, his girlfriend, Jezebel. Yeah. Who I love. That seems to be the reality the movie is presenting to. Correct. And then in the midst of, uh, as a result of that panic attack that you're talking about at that episode, that we see him in this other life that he had or previous life. Okay. It's the most heartbreaking thing. When he comes out of that. Yeah. It's for me, it would be the equivalent of, I have a dream where my closest family member is an aunt that I see every seven years. Okay. And then I wake up like, oh, thank God. That's not really reality. And then I wake up again and oh fuck that is reality. Yeah. So yeah, it does. It does do that. And you can see the pain on his face. Tim because Rock. his son is alive too. That's the yeah. and here's here's what I loved about that scene because they kind of set it up. Uh, his ex wife drops off like some photos that she found right, and one of them is of his son, and he's like, oh man, like I this is like the only picture I have of him. Yeah. Uh, and so you're just like, oh, this guy lost his son. So now when he wakes up and he's in his family with his wife. And we should say Macaulay Culkin is the son. Mm-hmm. Crazy dude. Cause he dies. And we obviously have said he died. He dies in this movie. That kid has died in three movies and managed to live through the two death trap movies. He was in amazing. <laughs> um, but, and I loved this part where, so, you know, the, he's like, cause they're starting to fool around. And then Macaulay Culkin comes in and he's like, I'm awake. And he's like, I'll tuck you back in. So he brings him back in and he tucks him back into his bed. And then you hear from behind him, you don't even see him yet. You just hear, don't forget about us, dad. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to forget about you guys. And it's like, holy shit. He had forgotten about. I didn't know about him yeah. as a viewer. Right. I thought he had one kid. Yeah. That's all he's focused on. Was this was so man. That line was just like, I was like, oh, good job, screenwriter. I, I love yeah. that. Because uh, there are a lot of layers on that one. Um, so, yeah, yeah oh, I love that scene. Well, let, 
let me let me just say something real quick because you you know we're we're talking about some reactions we're talking about some acting work here. Tim Robbins is a guy for me. I I I really like him in that I don't really really like him. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, I love how every man he is. I mean, the dude's six four, which is insane. It's yeah. a giant for Hollywood. Um, so obviously he is a big physical presence, but he has never read as anything very definitive for me. But I think that that's what helps serve his characters like Shawshank Redemption, like this movie. It's happening. Things are bad. Things are happening to a real normal kind of milk toast dude. Yeah. And I guess that that's part of what, what really sells it. Um, I think he does some amazingly subtle things in this. I was kind of shocked because everybody knows Tim Robbins, right? So I was kind of shocked to realize that the, when I was reading an interview, the only thing that he had really done before this was like, you know, the best friend, the buddy in comedies. Yeah. Just think, just being that kind of like funny, goofy best friend. Dude, in. he was in this old, We it was on like USA one night, like Bikini Hotel or something, mm. like some dumb spring break movie. And it's like, yeah. wait, Tim Robbins is like the buddy in this shitty tit comedy. Yeah. Johnny Depp did one of those too. That was the second movie. Um, what really? Yeah. What it, was that? Oh called? God. Oh, I'm going to kill myself for not remembering this right now. It's, um, it's something about, I think it's spring break is in it. Um, but yeah, you see his butt. Like, it's just like a, Oh, fraternity vacation. That's what it's called. That's Tim Robbins one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Depp did one too, but, um, but yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, it's so funny to watch this movie and to see it be so heavy and such a heavy role. You would be like, well, yeah, naturally they went with Tim Robbins for this. Yeah. But n- not at that time. I mean, at, at that time, that was a pretty bold choice. But the apparently the. Yeah, the, he'd really like Top Gun and Bull Durham. Bull Durham was probably his like. Yeah. What got him hit this movie. Yeah. But yeah. And then Top Gun before that. I don't even remember him in Top Gun. So. And let me um let me. Ju- he was in Top Gun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't remember Lieutenant that. Lieutenant Samuel Merlin Wells. Oh, Merlin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, really? I didn't wow. like the movie, yeah. so I don't know. Let me tell you Yeah, who... I said it. I didn't like Top Gun. You didn't like Top Gun? No. Oh, my God. I thought really? it was obnoxious and boring. Man, there were... You don't know how many of my middle school friends I bought that soundtrack for oh, on God. cassette for their birthday presents. It was... I would give them that like $8. I mean, imagine, imagine the image of a 10-year-old boy from Indiana sitting in Top Gun in the theater doing this. Ugh. That wow. was me. You rolling were the, you my were, eyes. You were the only one. I know. I know. It's rough. <laughs> um, here's a list of uh, names. I'm just going to say them. Uh, Jennifer Lopez, Madonna, Demi Moore, Julia Roberts, <laughs> friend of the show, Andy McDowell, um, <laughs> all, all auditioned for Jezebel. Oh, really? Yeah. And did not get it. And they gave it to Elizabeth Pena yeah. instead which is kind of a, a pretty bold choice considering that the weight of those names, but man, do I love her. Okay. She's, she's got, you know, this olive complexion. She's got these really bold features. Um, and she seems like a little bitchy, but also very caring at the same time. Um, and, uh, it's she's just really captivating in it yeah and i know that you're a big fan of that uh that party scene 
And man, is she, I'm just, I'll just, she's, man, is she sexy in that. Super hot in that scene. Super hot. Oh, boy. That had to start grinding, right? No one grinded before (laughs) until this scene, right? (laughs) It kind of, yeah, I I don't remember seeing a lot of it before that. Yeah, Yeah, dude. She's, uh, she's really good in this. She's really hot in that scene. And she's like someone who I feel like. I'm like, oh, yeah, Elizabeth Payne. I've seen her in a ton of stuff. And then I look at her filmography and I'm like, have I seen any of this? <laughs> like, how I do I know her? Thing. Like, yeah, it's like, well, it, yeah, you're, you're looking at her and you're like, well, I know that she's not Amelie, but I mean, like <laughs> that she has just a face. Right. She has a face of movies that I know that I've seen. Right. No, that's true. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah. That that scene is uh, great because she's uh, she's convincing him to come out because you know he's having problems. Yeah, he's got a lot of anxiety. Uh, so they go to a party and he doesn't want to dance. Um, kind of gets hit on by the tarot card lady. Like, why? Like, kind of Jesus. And is that is that tarot card lady? Um, she is someone. S. E. Patha. Uh, oh God, I wrote down her name. Is that S. E. Patha? Um, uh, yes. Uh, Merkerson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Should we right now? Let's get into the cast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Before we talk about the party scene. Yeah. Because this cast is insane. Because A, just opening up, uh, because it opens up on the platoon, you've got Eric LaSalle, Tim Robbins, Ving Rames. Also, this movie, ton of returning names. Ving Rames, people under the stairs. Uh, Let's, uh, so that's it for the, uh, oh, also, um, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Shaky eye guy. Shaky eye guy from the cell. So that, I mean, there's this platoon alone, like two solid character actors and like two movie stars. Uh, Then let's see. I mean, where do we go from there? So then uh, Danny Aiello is his chiropractor. The stuff, a return from the stuff. Yeah, let's do all the ones that are carry over first. I'm glad that we do a show where the credit that we give Danny Aiello is the stuff. The stuff I am yes. proud of that. Jason Alexander in, is in this. They hire, like, all the vets hire him to be their lawyer because they're like, hey, we're all experiencing shit. Because Shaky Eye Guy finds, you know, comes to Tim Robbins and is like, I'm seeing demons. I'm going to kill myself. And Tim Robbins is like, don't. I also see it. You're not crazy. And so they all get together, hire Jason Alexander from The Burning. Everyone remembers our Burning episode. It's a classic. Mm. Uh, let's see. Who else? Oh, Matt Craven, Fuck the, the chemist. I, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> I had Matt to say Craven, it. the chemist who comes to Tim Robbins to say, hey, I was a part of a team and we created experimental uh, psychedelic drugs that we tested on you guys to make you more aggressive and you all killed each other. Sorry. Matt Craven, he's from one of my favorites. Happy birthday to me. He's the guy who gets the meat skewer. Yeah. He's in this. Uh, is that it? Is that our... I feel like there's one other one. There isn't. Well, That's but- all there is for carryovers, but we've still got huge names in this movie. Who's Jacob's doctor that shows up after they give him the ice bath? Lewis Black! Famed, like, <laughs> frantic comedian who I didn't know existed until i like thought that guy was born at like 45 years old right and his first gig was the daily show like seeing him in this was insane uh who else uh um there's one other one oh oh yeah of course i have to mention this one of his neighbors tony was played by kyle gas 
who uh, music fans will know as one half of Tenacious D, which makes super sense because if you know about Tim Robbins, when he moved to L.A., he started a troupe called the Actors Gang, and it was a theater troupe. And they were, you know, they did like bold your new works. They were they were Chicago Street Theater. They did new works and bold interpretations of classics. All right. Like yes. they're, they're kind of the theater we came from. Yeah. They're in LA and way more legit. So in that theater. We're pretty legit though. We're very legit. <laughs> yeah. For, for Northwest Indiana, the legitist. Yeah. Um, but so in that theater, uh, one day the young uh, child of a couple uh, rocket engineers named Jack Black showed up uh, and joined their troupe, met the music director there because he wanted to meet the music director there. His name was Kyle Gass. They formed Tenacious D, which is also why you will see one or the other pop up in a lot of Tim, Tim Robbins movies or vice versa. If they're doing a movie, Tim Robbins will pop up. Tim That's Robbins awesome. was in and John Cusack started. So if you know, like the actors gang and watch high fidelity, you're like, oh, it's just a bunch of friends fucking around. Essentially. <laughs> it's like, I get how now Jack Black became a star because John Cusack and Tim Robbins were like, give Jack Black this role. Yeah. Not that he didn't. I mean, he deserved that. Role. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, Tim Robbins wrote a movie called uh, The Creatable Rock. It's a musical. That I have seen because Jack Black and Kyle Gass are both in it <laughs> as a duo. It's actually great. They're ventriloquists and um, Bill Murray is in it and he's their instructor. It's insane. That's and it's awesome. about it's about it's set in 1920 and it's about unionizing. <laughs> but it's a great it's a good mu- it's a good movie. Um, Hank Azaria is in it. It's great. I like it. It's not it's not like one where you're like everyone gather around watch the cradle will rock um but yeah so kyle gas there's the other my so other yeah, uh, and, and you barely even, see him like if you even i knowing him i'm like i'm pretty sure that's kyle <laughs> and 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 okay so for, out of all the like laundry list of names that you just mentioned there's still even a couple other people that you're like well and that guy like i know that guy yeah um, I mean, it's it's just chock full. And well, yeah. At this point, I was like, after I'd seen this cast, yeah, I was like looking up random people. Like that guy looks vaguely familiar. Right, Has yeah. he won three Oscars now? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, it's it's just. I mean, look, we've covered some movies that had some like shocking, you know, appearances and early appearances by actors that went on to be famous, but. This has got to be the most stacked list that we've ever seen in yeah. one movie. I mean, but by people far. who were no big deal when it was made to. I mean, Macaulay Culkin doesn't even get a credit. He's right. uncredited. Yeah. Right. Because they're like, who's going to remember that name? <laughs> yeah. No one's going to know this. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. It's just so crazy that the how this movie even came to be that way. Like the whole thing is even sold on the fact that ghost, the ghost script got sold. That's how this movie got made. Yes. Nobody wanted to make this movie because Paramount and everybody else was like, no, who gives a shit about ghost stories anymore? And then the writer of this screenplay sold Ghost, and they're like, oh, shit, well, maybe we better get in the game. Uh, have you got anything? Uh, you got any other ghosts? Uh, yeah. Like not wanting to travel to the other side, not wanting to give up <laughs> reality for the inevitable? Uh, he's like, yeah, I've got this one. Um, so that, right, now that was, we're giving it away. That worked out great. But uh, 
But so yeah, it was only then that uh, that this movie was even allowed to be made. But God, when you think about the the just the lightning in the bottle of all of these people being there, and I love I love having movies like that because we get to see these people, some of them before they became the the personas, uh, the on screen personas that that we know. Yeah, I, I mentioned to you a little bit earlier about Jason Alexander. This poor guy. Um, <laughs> I swear from watching the burning and from watching this movie, I am convinced that this guy, Jason Alexander as an actor had it in his mind, despite his shorter stature or overall physicality. He wanted to look cool in every movie that he was oh, yeah. in. Like he wanted to be the cool. Do guy. you remember him in pretty woman? You, yes. Yeah. I'm telling you, this super confident Sander was completely delusional <laughs> yes. before Seinfeld up until 1990. Like, no, no, you're three. the dumpy loser. Right. And <laughs> See, thank God, everyone thinks so. <laughs> thank God. The best acting decision, the best managerial decision that any actor on this planet has ever made was Jason Alexander accepting the fact that he's the bald loser. <laughs> That is that which that, he then stopped uh, accepting as he got older. Right. Yeah, he went back to it again. God he damn. is living Jacob's land. Yeah, he dude. is living that movie. Um, but yeah, he he like tries to be so cool in this. And granted, I know he's trying to be like what people envision when they envision a smug attorney. Not all attorneys are smug, but he's trying to fulfill that that role. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. So it's kind of fun to see him. You know. Still. You know putting stock in the fact that he's the next Marlon Brando. Um, then you've got Danny Aiello and Danny Aiello had done some, some pretty th- notable things before this. Yeah. Um, I think his Spike Lee stuff was yeah, before do the this. right thing. Yeah. So it's not like nobody knew who he was, but I have the softest spot for people, whether it's men or women that are tough, but have a, a kindness to them, a kindness that they're even sort of reluctant to show, yeah. but that they can't help, but, you know, exude it at when the, you know, when it's really needed. And, um, Danny Aiello is a guy that if you want to have him play a straight, vicious, bloodthirsty mafia boss, fuck. Yeah. He will give you that. He will bring that intensity and we can leave it at that. Right. And if you also want him to play this sort of caring, sincere, you know, I'll do anything. I'll give you the shirt off my back guy. He's that too. Yeah. And the fact that he's able to be both in such high measure at the same time. And he does it in this movie so beautifully um, that it's like, I, I want to go to that chiropractor. I would love to right. see that man. I want him to care for me. I thought that too, because I generally uh, don't really think chiropractic is a thing. <laughs> it sounds fun and uh, nice to get your back cracked and stuff, but you know, it's not very well respected in the medical community. It's fine. It's whatever. But yes, <laughs> if Danny Aiello could do it, I'd be there. And in, and when in what universe in what universe do you have like the the decision to make of I've got to find this sort of sweet angelic chiropractor <laughs> I gotta have Danny Aiello <laughs> right what what universe did some brilliant casting director figure that out yeah. I don't know but because I know he's gonna have the strength to do what he needs to do okay. But then he's going to, you know, yeah. lay me back down gently. And he's yeah. going to smile at me. And he's going to say, everything's okay. 
Have you ever had a chiropractic adjustment before? Uh, uh, yeah. Not, I mean, not like a like full session. Have you had but... that like that wicked ass neck crack? Yeah. Uh, no. I was at a, a party one time. And there was a kid who was going to probably, I think, I don't know the name of it. Forgive me. Uh, some people out there, I'm sure, know. It's the most like reputable chiropractic college in in the country. And it's somewhere right. It's like in Iowa. Yeah. Um, and, right in the backbone of the country. Yes. Uh, the last good people left on it. Yeah, Iowa's shaped like a piece of spine. Is that why? You know, maybe that was how it all <laughs> came to be. Uh, yeah, just right in the middle there. Uh, needing to be just... Yeah. worked out so i were gonna put it in louisiana but that's where the top podiatry school is so. yeah which yeah that yeah. makes all kinds of sense too uh, we all know the school in florida right. <laughs> right so um so i'm sitting at this house party and this guy uh friend uh comes up behind me and i've seen him do it to other people but never to me. And he comes up behind me and he kind of just gently like sort of cradles the back of my head. And he's just kind of rolling, like rotating it, you uh-huh. know? And um, I'm like trying not to be self. I'm an actor. Like I can relax. Like I'm, I'm, you know, comfortable with my body. Like I'll give him what he wants. And, um, but naturally when you're sitting around in a social setting, like some guy is grabbing your head and moving it around, you're right. going to be a little self-aware. The absolute fucking second that I forgot what he was doing, like that guy just absolutely cranked my chin up at an a- upward angle and cracked the fuck out of my neck. And I absolutely felt like I was on opioids immediately like it was a physical release of like i don't know if it was hormones or what was happening but i felt just like i was floating it was amazing so i know what you're saying about how there some people respect that and some people don't but man get your fucking yeah yeah i'm sure there's are good techniques and you know just not fucking around with those right (laughs) right yeah if you don't know what you're like disclaimer don't crack somebody's neck at a party if you are not yeah. a chiropractor. Speaking of party, before we make this scene anticlimactic as yeah. it is now, yes, the party scene. He goes to the party. Here's what I like about the party scene because this is like the first, this is his first like big breakdown. Uh, and it's like one of those things where it's, I love how the movie addresses, like he opens the fridge and there's a giant pig's head in there. Mm hmm. And he's just kind of like, huh, that's weird. So it is kind of this dream state where you're like, well, I'm just going to kind of accept that. That's a thing. I'm here. I'm not going to start asking the host like what's in their fridge, you know. Um, and, you know, so we're just get. I mean, that was actually a big thing. But there's just like little weird things that happen. And so his girlfriend wants him to come dance and he comes down and the music's just like bumping. And, you know, and it's just kind of one of those cool little like. It's like he's having a little hallucinogenic trip uh, without the computer special effects. It's a very good practical representation of it where the music's kind of get overwhelming. He's just seeing things that are like repetitive over and over. And then they're slowly starting to kind of change a little bit. So as his girlfriend, you know, just keep whipping her head around. Now like a tail's coming out from under her. And you're like, wait, is that from the guy behind her? Or is that hers? And he just like absolutely flips out. Which then leads into a great another scene where he's got a fever and they've got to like cool him down. So she throws him in the bathtub and 
I think this was in the trailer too, and this is why it looks so frantic because it's like a lot of the times where he's under duress or or in some sort of stressful situation, you get a lot of like POV shots from him, or the camera will do weird stuff because that you know it's not the right perception that's going on right now right but like that looks cool so we'll put it in the trailer so you watch that trailer and you're just like what the fuck is going on in this right. movie like it just looks like yeah it goes crazy okay i get it um but there's so much more um but yeah i just love that and so like and it's not only is like uh his vision being weird but you know it's almost like he's like is he trying to tell them to stop? I just feel like he's, I don't remember what he's saying, but it's like he's talking to them, but they're not listening to him. Like they are just doing what they're doing, whether he wants them to do it or not. And yes, we as the audience are like, this is probably the best thing. But at the same time, you're like, I feel, you know, he doesn't want this. I feel bad for him. He's not in, or, or is what I'm watching even really happening right now? You know? And then that's when he goes into the family. He has a family dream. Wakes up to Lewis Black. Yeah. Yeah, he actually says to that, like, he says, you're killing me. Like, to the yes. people giving him the ice bath. And yeah, yes. it's very, very Because he's tense. freezing. He's like, yeah. I'm freezing. She's like, you have, a, you, it's off the, just the, the thermometer is to the top. Right. She calls the doctor. She's like, it's to the top. So, yeah, that, and and what uh, what we've got a little bit of, and, and you or I, you and I were in a great show and then you went on to a uh, direct version of it, uh, a show called woman in mind where part of the show is about a, a woman that has two different realities. She has a, the rea- the real reality that she's in where she's bored with her husband. She doesn't really like her kid. Um, you know, it's, it's just not very satisfying. And then she has this other reality that she slips into and it's kind of her dream life and everything is wonderful and great. And, I played one of the characters that is in the dream life. And what was really interesting to me, because it, it's that character comes across as evil by the end of the show. But I thought to myself, I like actors always do um, reason why their evil character isn't really that evil. And for me, it was, I might be a hallucination on her part, but unless she's hallucinating, unless she's losing her mind, I don't exist. So I'm fighting for my very existence. Yeah. So, you're right. At this point in the movie, it's still not clear to us what is real life or not. But we know damn sure that Jezebel, it, who we believe is his current girlfriend, very much wants to keep him alive. That she she has her problems with him. He's becoming quite a handful, but she does not want him to die. Yeah. And even still, if you're watching it for the first time, you don't know why that would be so critical to her. But when you watch the entire movie, you understand exactly why that's critical to her because it's yeah. her existence. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, but, but the, the movie, like we've said earlier on, does such a great job of measuring itself. It never gives you too much. It never, like what you're talking about a little bit with scene composition, sometimes we get these close-ups Sometimes we get some really nice wide shots of things mm-hmm. that kind of create the the sort of terror or nightmarishness of of environments that we're in. Um, we go back and forth between timelines, but it is all just seamless. And it you never and you know how I am watching these movies. Like I want to know where I am, what's going on, and blah blah blah. But you just kind of go with it because am I right or wrong? 
unless you did learn about the movie beforehand, you are for the longest time buying the fact that Jezebel is his real life, correct? Yes. I mean, yeah, you're, yeah. you're buying that completely. And that he is having... Because it follows pretty linearly through his experiences there. Right. I did like, and I forgot to mention this, when he you know wakes up in his other life, he's like, oh my God, I had the weirdest dream. Like I was like living with like, jezebel from the post office do you remember her so it's like she was not even a part of his life yeah like like a little bit of a vanilla sky action there. yeah um you know where like somebody that you just wasn't even a big part of your life in this alternate reality is a huge part of it right just, just like the dreams i'm talking about yeah it's it does a great job of that but also who's to say that that dream that he had even represented what his real life was was jezebel even someone he knew in his life let's all right we've kind of alluded to it enough yeah she's made up <laughs> right right yeah yeah um and and i will this is where that that confession that i mentioned earlier you know me and this is part of the whole reason why we're doing this mini series is that i am freaked out by psychological thrillers yeah so I, I had kind of put off watching this movie and I was putting it off and putting it off. I even watched another horror movie last night at like 11 oh o'clock at night. I watched that Irish one. Um, oh, and, I, uh, I forgot to watch that trailer. Right? And uh, so I just really, that's how my aversion is very real here. Like I really was putting off watching this movie for a long time. And I'm like, well, maybe if I just spoil it for myself that then I can, oh. kind of, then I can, but, but at least I would do not to, do that for your other one. Well, okay, I won't. I do won't. not. I won't. I won't. That I won't do. I can promise you that. All right. Um, My but uh, God. you fucked up the end of this. I movie, did. And I you, did. but you didn't know it. You've no. gone this long without a seeing it. I B, had knowing no, how it ended. I had no idea. None. And I spoil it for myself. But I wanted to be able to get through it. I wanted to be able to enjoy it. I, didn't I don't want to be around so. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. I but but it was okay because. And this is, well, it's not okay, but this is why it's forgivable is because the movie does such a convincing job of not letting you know what's real or not. Yeah. And I just skimmed it, by the way. I mean, I didn't thoroughly dig into it. Yeah. But, um, but even as I was watching it, even having read the Wikipedia on it, I still, still, even at that moment, wasn't sure what was real and what was not. Yeah. Um, because I had read that, you know, a, a, a handful of days ago. Um, but. What I really, really love about what this movie does is that usually when there is a twist, like an M. Night Shyamalan thing, when there's a twist, it's a complete full 180. Like, none of that was real. This is all, you know, completely made up. But in this movie, ah, well, here I go, because now we were talking about this earlier. In this movie, at least when there is the flip and there is the reveal. Yeah that he is just dying in Vietnam and he never actually made it home at all. And this is all just a fever dream the entire movie that we've seen and the relationships and the characters have all been made up on his deathbed in a fever dream before he dies. Yes. Um, the movie takes place in transport to a military hospital. Basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, it's between that and his mind, yep. you know, or, or in his mind at that moment. So, but but yet they do give you a little bit of reality within his we'll call it the fever dream with that within that transport though the the reality that he's creating in his mind has some 
basis in in reality. Now, the most difficult part to discern there is that the idea that his battalion or his platoon was experimented on with a drug that would make them more aggressive. Yeah. So the footage that we see in Vietnam, which is what the movie opens with, very much shows people going into convulsions, having not just natural reactions to the fear of a firefight. I mean, there's something going on physically with it. Right, yeah. So we... we, This one guy gets this thing where his eyes shake. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Boy, yeah. How is he going to keep that career going? But uh, but he did. That guy's Um, a good actor. He's great. Yeah, Yeah, he is. He is great. Um, So let me ask you this question, because we'll take this a little bit step by step and not make it boring. But just just so I know for sure. Sure. The Vietnam footage that we see in the very beginning, that has to be as a viewer real. Correct. I think so. Yeah. I think all the Vietnam stuff we see is real. Okay. so. All right. So if it is and I'm with you, if it is then they were, in fact, drugged with something. Yes. Okay. So that part of it, the drug itself being administered to the battalion is not false. That part is real. Yeah. Okay. I think so. So so if it is real, how he came to know about it being real in his within his fever dream, which is part of what he's trying to search within this, we'll call it purgatory that he's in fever dream, purgatory, whatever you want to call it is him trying to figure out why am I seeing these demons? Why am I having these hallucinations? Why do I see my girlfriend turning into a a beast with a tentacle and blah, 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 tail or whatever it is. So at one point in the movie, it is explained to us within the reality of his purgatory that, that his battalion was in fact drugged. Yeah. So, if we believe that the drugging was real, how did he get fed that information in purgatory? Right. Okay. So we'll call it the Pena timeline, right? Okay. The Brooklyn experience or whatever. Okay. So yes, there is a guy that we kind of see in the background a couple times uh, when shaky eyes, his car explodes Yeah. and he's pulled away by another guy. Now that guy is also... In the Vietnam scenes, the guy from Happy Birthday. Okay. He is on, he's treating him on the Medvac chopper. So, if that guy, because yes, in the Pena timeline, he tracks him down and he says, listen, I was part of, I'm a chemist and I was part of a team and we created drugs and your battalion was our test. And because we thought you would be better aggressive soldiers, but instead you guys all turned on each other and killed each other. Because yeah, at the beginning we see Tim Robbins getting stabbed. We think it's by you know Vietnamese, but then later as he's reliving this, we see someone from his own battalion stabbing him. Right. So yes, now so that guy could have during the medvac procedure assuming he also is this chemist or whatever maybe he's not a chemist and maybe he was just like dude they did experiments on you and his brain is just filling it in who knows but the same that's the same guy who's on the helicopter and who like tells him about the experiments so whether that character 
was that guy or he saw that guy and made up who he was. That's up to interpretation, I could say. You are but right. It's plausible that it's up to interpretation. No, that, <laughs> oh. I just remembered something as you were saying it. And you are a thousand percent right that that's how it happened. And I'll tell you why. Deleted scene. Oh, yeah. They had to cut like 20 minutes out of this movie because it was too disturbing. Now, I didn't necessarily read that the guy admitted what had happened to them, but there is a deleted scene where he gives Tim Robbins character in Vietnam the antidote. Oh, he gives him the antidote for what they had given him to make them all go crazy. Well, there you go. So that's it then. Yeah, he must have given him the antidote and probably said to him, like, dude, I'm so, like a confession, like a yeah. bad confession yeah. to this guy. Sorry, I did this to you. Blah, blah, and maybe blah. that's why he held it, because they do make a comment like he held on for a long time, but it just wasn't in the cards. Right, right. So, OK, and I can't believe I just remember that now, but you your first impression of what might have happened was exactly right. OK. Perfect. So, okay, so now things are are pretty linear then. Because we should say, uh, we don't have to dwell on it too much, but just to give the underlying, like the theme of this movie is letting go of your past traumas and guilt in order to pass peacefully on. It's more, you know, it's him about getting over the death of his son so that he can also die. Right. Essentially is what this movie is about. And it's about him creating... As his brain creates a reality in order for him to cope with it. And isn't it funny how, you know, for all of these episodes that we've done, and oh, by the way, what are we up to now? Oh, this is like 60. Is this 69? Nice. Or this is 68. Mm, I don't remember. We're up there, though. Look. Oh, dude. This is episode 69. Nice. Nice. Sexy. (laughs) Um, so man, I wish it was more fun of an episode. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Thank so God we squeeze some Holocaust talk into our sixty ninth right. episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a genre that I have not clicked on <laughs> Pornhub yet. Um, so uh, <laughs> let me just say this. Um, yes, I, what my point was is that isn't it kind of interesting? And I guess it makes a thousand percent sense that. In all of or so many of these episodes of these horror movies that we've covered, these horror people getting killed, slashed, teenagers, people running for their life, people dying. How many of these movies are ultimately grief movies? Yeah. But they're ultimately like dealing with grief. And maybe that's and doesn't that make perfect sense that you that horror would be a genre where people are wrestling with their their mortality. Right. With either the their impending um, mortality or wrestling with the death of loved ones or friends that you would explore that through a horror film. Um, and that it is about the, the grieving process and the letting go, uh, because of death. And it's something that I am going to make a decision right now (laughs) that I am, I am not going to delve into the way that I could in my personal life, how I am currently, I, I was watching this movie and I said, I'm living this movie right now. Yeah. I, I will say that much. I'm in, in, a, in a different regard. I am living this movie as we sit right now. And I hope to look back on this episode, you know, a year from now and be like, man, I'm so glad I'm right. in the place that I'm at now. More the sorting things out, not uh, dying. Yeah. Right. Okay. Not the 10. I want to yeah, make sure not, I'm not real. The, yeah. Not the uh, girlfriend, you know, grind, sweaty grinding <laughs> with it tail. Um, great as that may be. But um, but no, it it is it's very much about the struggle of 
having a, a previous existence and letting go of that um, to move on to wherever it is that you're heading to and how difficult it can be to let go of that. And um, there is the probably the most wonderful bit of dialogue in this movie is Danny Aiello, and I'm sorry I didn't writ- write it down, but referencing an, an author where he talks about a guy saying that... Um, Meister so, Eckhart. Yeah. And by the way, is, is that a real... Yeah. Is that a real uh, person? <laughs> yeah, he was a real Christian mystic. So. Oh, mystic. Okay. Yeah. So um, so this, this uh, gentleman that Danny Aiello's character references talks about the fact that the only thing that burns in hell are our memories and attachments to our previous life. And that the, the, if you are hanging on to that, if you are not letting it go, then you are going to see where you're at as hell and the people around you as demons. But if you make peace with your transition and if you accept that, then the people around you are not demons. They're actually angels just trying to help you let go of that life so that you can enjoy what is now the afterlife or, or where you're headed to. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was, that was the big clue too, about like what, I mean, it, cause it's funny too, because at that point in the movie, you're like, Oh, I get what his metaphor means for this movie. And then at the end, you're like, Oh no, I get what he was literally saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, it I, seems like just a metaphor for like, Hey, move on with your life. And yeah. then at the end, it's like, no, seriously, wrap it up. Yeah, kind of like Danny Aiello is is the angel of the movie, which he Tim Robbins references him as. You yeah. know, like uh, you know, you look like an angel, and uh, the Have character I ever told Jeze- you that, yeah, every time, right? And then you've got Jezebel, who sort of represents the demon, and she is wanting to burn the pictures of his family because they wanting hurt. she does yeah she does yeah that's like the, the first kind of time where you're like what's going on because she torches all those and no one ever cares right like so, i would have flipped my shit so here she is now now i am so glad that they made the cut that they did in this because originally they were going to have jezebel's character really be a through and through demon that he was gonna have to fight and all this stuff but if but the way that they cut it is perfect because she is an angel. She's just an angel just as much as she is a demon. She's burning that stuff because it's his connection to his old life. Yeah. And she she says I don't like anything that makes you I hate anything that makes you cry. Yeah. So she is it's kind of that's the beauty of the the interchangeability of these people who are on his passage to his afterlife. Yeah. They're, they're, nobody's good. Nobody's bad. The they're Santa Claus who you. stole his wallet and then took the picture, his last picture of his right. son. Yeah. So, you know, you might see good people as bad or bad people as good, but at the end of the day, all these, these people within your purgatory existence are trying to do is to get you to let go so that you can go on to where, where you're headed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of sad because it's sort of telling, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but um, Jezebel's character has this line where she says, you know, I'm sick of fucked up guys. I can't take it anymore. I've had all these guys go crazy on me. You know, I'm she's just looking for a, a normal, stable guy. What she's actually saying there as her true purpose in that purgatory is like, Hey, I'm alive and that I've I live in this existence of your girlfriend where we're at now 
And if you just accept this, then we get to live this life as long as you want. Yeah. As long, if you accept me as your girlfriend and you can just chill the fuck out and let go of your old family and your, your real family, mm-hmm. you can let go of them. You can live in this purgatory with me forever. Yeah. And we can dance sweaty on the floor and we can do whatever the fuck you want to do with my thighs that you referenced and that you enjoy so much, my prominent facial features. Um, <laughs> we can do this forever. But she knows that if he really connects to the reality, which is Vietnam, which yeah. is his death, that she goes away. And she'll come back again in some other guy's purgatory. And I'm sure it gets old after a while. That's probably why she wishes some guy would just yeah. kind of accept that purgatory. Oh, so you think she may be a real entity that flits from like yeah. dying memory to dying memory? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. That she and essentially she and Danny Aiello, those people are all just sort of uh, whether you want to call them angels or demons, they're both. They, they are players in that purgatory world that are there to either help you get over the past, whatever it takes to move on to the, to the next part. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Which I guess they don't have to be, but I, I kind of liked that. I yeah, think. no, that's yeah. a great interpretation. Right. My cynicism is just like, <laughs> Oh, it's because this character grew up Catholic and so was Tim Robbins. So that might have worked its way into the script. But this character grew up Catholic, knew characters from the Bible. So everyone that is referenced in this delusion he's making up is has a some sort of background in Catholicism or so, or or Christian religion, at least in some way. Uh, and- I don't know enough specifically about Catholicism, but had he grown up uh, a Muslim if his character was Muslim, I don't think his girlfriend would be named uh, Jezebel and his son would be named Gabriel. Right, right. You know? No, that's very true. And there's there's a lot of very physical truth to what you're saying as far as somebody being in a dream state and that the dream state is made up of whatever little bits and pieces of reality that they were able to hang on to. Yeah. I remember when I was in a, we'll call it dream state, once, waking dream state, uh, and I was not having a good time. I was really uncomfortable. And I the person that I called was somebody that would absolutely not be somebody that would be a, of assistance in that situation. But I had seen that person earlier on that day when I wasn't feeling the way that I was feeling. Mm. So they were a tether to when things were normal earlier that day. Okay. And so you're right. If If you go into a non-reality world, you're exactly right. You're going to, it's going to be made up of those fragments that you're hanging on to from, uh, from that, that previous knowledge. Right. So it makes, yeah, you could see it that way that it is, you know, his, uh, that his purgatory is. Painted. That's how his brain would answer the questions that it can't. It would, that's how it would fill in those gaps. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so ultimately we get, uh, a little bit more that the the director, the writer are feeding us a little bit more as the movie progresses, especially in its third act, because when you go from what seemingly is a normal hospital to the x-ray room and the x-ray room looks like it is a like war torn, blown out, yeah. like cellar somewhere, um, then you know that what you're watching now is no longer based in reality. Right. Yeah. And um, and you're still if you didn't know the ending, you might still be clutching. To but something. now, see, you say that 
I mean, I imagine you're talking about like when he's in the hospital and he's being wheeled away and now we're in like a shithole dilapidated yeah. hallways and shit. Yeah, but then when Danny Aiello comes to get him, it's still kind of a shithole. Like it was yeah. definitely a shithole hospital. But yes, and his it he created it as this nightmarish place on his way in. Yeah. But I, yeah, it was still kind of a shithole. And that day and that day we talked about it before we recorded, but Danny Aiello in that scene uh, where he's just like cuz he has no ID, so they just think he's some random crazy guy and Danny Aiello's like and he's even like please get my chiropractor. He right. knows me, please. He's who I need. Uh, and he comes in, and it's just that great Danny Aiello fury. Yes. Uh, threatening all the doctors. And then he's so gentle, like, picks him up like he's his savior. Oh, Danny Aiello is so awesome. You could you could just, like, imagine the delight of the director where, like, maybe before the scene, he's like, Danny, I'm, I'm not sure if you can do this but if you could just when you come in just really own the place you know really own the space you know uh you're here to do something and, yeah. and it's gonna get done can you give that to me and it's then not really gets... my cue zone but i'll give it a shot <laughs> right oh it's great like you are just cheering for him like he is gonna save his fucking friend uh-huh. and, oh and you believe that he's right even though he is he's not real right <laughs> and he's just the chiropractor for god's sake but you are like fuck yes danny aiello you tell him you beat up these people that are just doing their job yeah you know but uh oh yeah he's so yeah really really it is funny his brain kind of starts to create a court drama and then it's like not scrap that idea yeah (laughs) right yeah right yeah that gets you think there's gonna be all because yeah then jason alexander's like all the guys back off the case and Jason Alexander's like, you guys lied to me. There is no case here. And that's another part of his madness. He's like, what? No. Did you think now that, we, you know, the cat is completely out of the bag. Did you think that that little written blurb at the end about there being some suspicion that the the United States government was uh, tinkering around with some mind control drugs uh, for for soldiers? Yeah. Did, did you, how did you feel about that being on there? I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird to know what COVID used to be called. That's the current mind control drug. No, uh, no, it's you know it it's fine. I think it adds. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. How do I feel about that? Because at one it, on one hand, I get it. It's like kind of adds a little weight, more weight to the movie, and it's like, yeah, what you saw, maybe guys did go through that because we did fuck with guys but also i read that quote is from a a book about like drugs and the war and stuff and it's like well the pentagon has denied doing this we really don't have a lot of solid evidence of it right. but it just seems to be one of those urban legend things where everyone's like i could totally see that happening it just seemed a little strange to me because i think they do such a beautiful job and it was very very different from the original shot for the ending of the movie was going to be uh, Tim Robbins ascending this sort of heavenly staircase yeah. and heavenly music playing and the director's like, no. They're like, we are going to make his heaven be the staircase in his old home with his real family and that's going to represent heaven. Like yeah. going, going into Yeah, he building. sees Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, and, and that's done together. so beautifully. Yeah. And you know what? At the end there, what we get, and I'm, I'm always, I'm, I never cease to be impressed by this, when there are uh, things in a movie, actually, uh, as a strange uh, example of this, uh, 
it was uh, what we do in the shadows did such a great job of this. When a movie has to like show a sort of uh, sketchbook of time passage and <laughs> yeah. things happening. I'm like, man, they not only do they have to film the movie that they're making, but they have to go like spend probably an entire couple of days just filming what is going to be shown as like old memories. Oh yeah. But but they we really do get that nice little bit where we see some footage of him with the family before, you know, in reality. Oh yeah. There's like a shot of him with Macaulay Culkin on his shoulder yeah. and you're like how long has Tim Robbins known Macaulay Culkin? Because it looks like that was like eight years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They do a really nice job of that. That's one thing I will say for this film being now, let's see, what, uh, 30 some years old? Uh, yeah. 31. Okay. 31 years old. Um, did its age. Be I was uh, younger when this movie came out than my youngest child is now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to put it in perspective. They, uh, this movie has hardly aged. I no, mean, that's there's true. well, it, it helps being set in 75, right? Which they don't like they don't do to like an annoying level. Like, no. They're not trying to drive it down your throat or anything. They just, you know, they mess with a couple hairstyles and some some clothing. Yeah, Watching it now, you're just like, oh, this is from a while ago. And to tell you the truth, honestly, <laughs> like, I yeah. forgot what 1990 was like. And do you even really need it to be 77? It's kind of like, you know, that it was a while ago, you know, right. it, it doesn't need to be real specific. Well, um, in relation to the Vietnam War, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That it was after Vietnam. But uh, but even when I'm watching it, I'm like, even if I this is supposed to be 1990, like that doesn't bother me that much. either. No. like it, they, they just do a nice, seamless job of that. It hasn't aged like really at all. Like there's I mean, like you said, it, it's helped by the fact that it is sort of a recent period piece in and of itself but um it does sometimes you watch a movie from 1990 and you're like oh my god there's 1990 throwing up all over the screen yeah. right now but this movie is sort of timeless that way yeah um and uh this looks totally different from encino man <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it does it really does um you know, or, fever dreams yeah, though. it's no it's no <laughs> what is that biodome yeah yeah uh, guess who's in biodome tenacious d there we go full circle Tim, can you tell i'm a big fan because i knew that jack black's parents were rocket scientists yes is that a and is that a good indication yeah that's what i'm talking about that's maybe. the knowledge that i'm looking for from a fan yes no i uh i am glad that i saw this movie i was disturbed uh, if we're cycling around back to the uh to the fear thing I was disturbed watching this, even even having read about it. Um, like, yeah, those things that I don't like feeling when I watch a psychological thriller, I was feeling during this. Yeah. And um, but it's so well done and so well acted that um, that I was also able to enjoy it. Even I, though you ruined it for yourself. <laughs> I did. I But I will not do that for the next one. I will promise All you right. that. I have well, the no, one after the next one. Yeah, I have, maybe we'll announce what the next next one is. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like it. Well, and how about this? How about this exciting uh, announcement? That, unbeknownst to us, this is going to be a larger mini series oh, than we thought. Yeah, are you down with doing the the number five? Are you down with that? Yeah, it's it's really off the beaten path. Can't bring it up now without and then without being like I'm confirming if we're doing it or not. You know. I, All right. Well, <laughs> no, I still think about it. I don't want to force you into it. Listen, folks. Here's the thing. I looked at the calendar today. I went, oh my god, August has five Mondays. 
So our mini series was going to be not maxi enough. So it's an intermediate. We're trying to find series. a good number five, which I think I've got a decent solution. I'm going to be honest. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. And it's more of a, I would love to talk about this movie. Then it really fits into what we do, but I could, I could definitely shoehorn it in. John Carpenter said horror is not a genre; it's a reaction. I, I'm with you on it. I, well, look, hey, you don't have to make the argument to me. Psychological thrillers are horrific to me, <laughs> so you, I am the last person that you have to sell okay. on that. Well, enough ambivalence. We're not going to talk about it anymore. We're going to talk about this anymore either. We're wrapping it up. We're wrapping it up. Right? Yeah, we covered it. We are. And and yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh it's really a movie that honestly, I, I will I think this is a good point to make. It's not just laziness on my part. I didn't feel overly compelled to throw as much research into this movie as I normally do, only because I think that this is one of those experience movies. Yeah. I think that it's really this movie isn't so much about all of the facts and the bits and pieces and the moving parts. It's about your experience as a viewer. Yeah. And, and any movie you can like uh, going back to, we just watched this thing on Die Hard, you know, cause Nancy was like, how have you not watched this thing on all these movies you like? I'm like, cause I know like everything about these movies, <laughs> but still watching the Die Hard one, the way they present it, it's like, it seems so much more dramatic than like, yeah, there was a guy who worked on the script and then they gave it to another guy, yeah. you know, but th- this was a 10 minute lead up in this, you know, episode. So, uh, you know, so you can make anything sound important, right? If we, but yeah, look. this movie seemed to have gotten made just through a general, there was, it sat on the shelf for a while. Yeah. I think that's about the most you could say interesting about the behind the scenes of this movie. Right. It was difficult to get it going, but it's not like anyone was like. Was no one's passion project forever. It was just like a cool thing they had that he would have liked to done. Yeah, I will say one more real, real quick thing about it. Just uh, uh, speaking a little bit to the style of it, that I I wrote down one of my notes was um, this is a, a it's a real street movie, and I I mean I know that that sounds kind of nondescript, but it it feels very urban. It feels very city. It feels very street. And part of that is because, um, and I just wanted to make one quick mention about the music, there isn't a whole lot. No. There's next to no scoring for all of the like craziness that we're seeing. Very minimal scoring on this. So it really does, I mean, Man, I I'm not going to really call it a street that. movie like Driller Killer, <laughs> but it does kind of have that real gritty urbanness to it. And there's not a lot of, because it, look, if they had had all those nightmarish scenes and just just lacquered it with like a lot of like spooky, uh, you know, tones and whatnot that they would have done if it would have been made like five years later. Um, Then it it would have, it's enough to ease you. It's enough to take you out of it. But it sounds like that's all the stuff they cut out of like the third act. Like it sounds like there's a lot of disturbing stuff, which I'm glad like, yeah, especially in a movie about losing your mind. Like I like the, Am I losing my mind parts way more than the, oh, oh, I've lost my mind parts. Right. You know? Right. So, oh, Tim just had a thought. I, I, <laughs> I literally, I just, you know what? We'll talk about it later. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a programming note. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's wrap this up so you don't okay. forget. Okay. So that was Jacob's Ladder from 1990. 
I think one of the big misconceptions people say is like he was dead the whole time. No, he dies at the end. Like Correct. that's very important to know. Yes. I think yes. people are like, oh, he died, and then like this is all fake. It's like, no, it's fake, but he's imagining it, and then he dies. Yes, correct. Very important. Correct. Just want to get that out there. Okay, so that was it. Uh, please check out our, our website, uh, slumberpodcast.com. Slumberpodcastmassacre.com? <laughs> Shit. Yeah, slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Sorry. Uh, email us, um, uh, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Um, oh, I got to show you. We just got a, a listener sent in some like a list. It's just like a hundred VHS covers, like pictures oh. of old covers. It's great. I spent like 10 minutes looking at Microwave Massacre, remembering it, <laughs> and then like looking things up about it. Oh, my God. That, maybe, maybe in the future. Anyway, uh, yeah, huge thanks to our patrons. Uh, you help make this possible. Please uh, hit us up with a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you check us out. Please join us next week. As the summer of fear continues, we're going back to the well. It's for me. It's from 1990 as well. It's arachnophobia. That one's going to be a lot more fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. Than this one. And it'll be our 70th episode. It will be 70, number 70. Uh, and I love arachnophobia, so Dave, it's one of those weird ones. I I've seen arachnophobia maybe ten times. I can't remember a frame of that movie. Oh my god, it's so not good. a frame. It's great. Uh, so yeah, that's next week. And then you know, just to keep him honest, we're gonna watch Shutter Island. I'm gonna give it away a week early. We're closing with Shutter Island. Tim has not seen Shutter Island, a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he doesn't know how it ends. Tim, do not look up how that movie ends. I will not. Everyone at home, don't. Just watch it. It's a great movie. It's, it's Scorsese. If there's any movie, any of you who listen for some reason because you don't watch horror movies but still listen to this podcast, that one you can watch. I'm telling you that one's good. Every movie we do is pretty good, but that yeah. one is safe. I should say that. It's safe. Uh, okay, so yeah, erectophobia next week. Tim, you got anything else to say about Jacob's ladder? Just that, uh, with all due respect, if I did work with anybody listening 22 years ago, it's not that I wouldn't want you as a best friend. It's just that we haven't talked in 22 years, so it's going to take a minute to catch up. But no disrespect, I'm sure you you make a wonderful best friend. I guess our time at Bass and Robbins wasn't that memorable. Okay, everyone. Well, we'll see you next week, Tim. Bye. Bye. Bye.